We could sing that all morning, right? Give me Jesus. You are my one thing. So excited to be with you guys this morning. We are in the second week of this brand new series called New Wine. New Wine. This series, we're talking about the new thing that God is birthing in you. The new thing that God is birthing in us as a church family. The new thing that God is birthing in the world. Last week, we learned from Jesus' teaching, this, this phrase, new wine, is taken from Scripture. It's taken from one of Jesus' teachings in Luke 5, 37 through 38. Jesus says this. Jesus says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. Wineskins be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. All last, week, all last Sunday, we talked about what does this mean. And so if you missed last week, go back. It was pretty foundational to the whole series. Listen to it online or Spotify or podcast or whatever. But basically, what this scripture is saying is that the framework or the container of the old cannot hold the birth of the new. The container or the framework of the old cannot hold the birth of the new is what Jesus was teaching about when he said that. Jesus was saying, hey, the old wineskins were really good when they were used for the new wine of the yesteryears. They were awesome, and the wine they produced was great, and the wineskin was great in the season, but I'm doing a new thing. And those old wineskins have become brittle and dry and, and inflexible. They can't stretch and expand with the vastness of this new wine that I'm pouring out. There's a lot that we can pull out of the truth in this scripture, the new thing that God is doing in all of our lives, in, in our community as a church and in the world, it's going to require a new container. It's going to require a new framework. And what does that mean? What does that even mean? Practical terms, it could mean a new mind frame, a new expectation, a new way of doing things, a new method. We are wineskins that God pours out his spirit through, and we'll talk about that more next week. But God is saying that your current and my current mind frame, our current way of doing things, maybe our current expectation, maybe our current way of doing things, it was great at one time, but there's a new thing that God's pouring out, and so we're going to need a new one of all of those things. My prayer in this series is that, is that we all become aware of the old wineskins that are in our closet. We keep trying to fit the new thing God is doing into the old wineskins. And I just pray that we be aware and trade out the old wineskins for the new wineskins so that we can receive the new wine that God is pouring out. It's kind of like, I don't know if any of you guys are like this. Maybe you have an old iPad or iPod or iPhone and you just kind of hold on to it. You don't need it anymore, but you just kind of hold on to it. It's in your closet because maybe someday your nephew or your kid or your grandkid or your friend might need one and you can give it to them. But if you hold on it for, onto it for too long, the operating system becomes obsolete. And the new app that, you want, that they want to be able to download on, it doesn't work because old wineskins can't hold new wine. Amen? So we're going to continue talking about new wine today. And last week we talked more about the wineskins. Today we're going to talk more about the new wine. This morning's message title is, When New Isn't What You Expected. 
Isaiah 43, 19 says, see, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is saying, I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Because it might look different than you were expecting. Have you ever been there before where you were praying for God to move in your family in a certain way? And God moved, but it looked totally different than you were expecting. Or you were praying for God to provide for a need or to heal something going on in your life or in your body. And he did, he provided and he healed, but it's like, wow, that was different than I expected. When what is new comes in a different package than what you were expecting. Or maybe you're living all out for the Lord right now and it's looking different than you expected. Or you sensed God was about to birth something new and when it actually happened, it looked different than you expected. I just want to say just for a moment that as a church family, we are going into a new container. We've purchased the new building and in a little bit, we're going to be in a new space. And we believe that with this new space container framework, God is also pouring out a new thing in us. It's a new season. God's doing a new thing. And, you know, we'll start having services over at the new building sometime in March. And we all have an expectation of what it will look like and feel like over there, what this new wine that God is pouring out will look like. But it's probably going to look different than we're expecting right now. Like right now, we have a reference point of what worship looks like in the sanctuary. It's going to feel and look different over there. We all know that we're rubbing elbows in the lobby here. It's going to feel different in the new lobby. We're going to have more space to walk in and out. The kids' ministry spaces are going to look and feel different. The drive there, maybe this is a two-minute drive, and it's going to be a 15-minute drive, or vice versa. The parking lot's going to be different. It's going to feel and look different. It's going to be new. We are meeting with and talking with um, Pastor Jeff, our pastor from Valley Family Church, and who's also a member of the Alive Board, and talking about the, preparing for the transition to the new building. And he said, you're going to really need to prepare your people because it's going to feel a lot different than it feels right now. And he said, <clears throat> what he said fit perfectly into what I was speaking even before <clears throat> the message was already written. I said, oh, I'm going to add that to my message. This is what he said. He said, when you guys get to the new building, there's going to be a lot more new people than you people. There's going to be a lot more new people than you people. If you call Life Family Church home and you're here regularly, then you see a lot of familiar faces, and that makes it feel a certain way. We believe, you know, we didn't buy this new building for us to have a nicer home for us, right? We bought this new building so that we can welcome home more people, so that more people can join us, so more people can be introduced into a relationship with Jesus. So it's going to look and feel different over there. And so we talked about last week, we don't really know what to expect, but we're going to come expecting. We're going to remain flexible, expansive skin, wine skins for whatever God wants to do in and through us. Amen. So back to kind of really what is on my heart to share this morning. Last week, we talked about how the religious leaders of Jesus' time were frustrated with him and his wineskins. His ways of doing ministry were weird. Like Jesus went to Matthew's party and sat at a table with thieves and, and sinners and tax collectors, and he drank wine with them, and he ate with them, and the Pharisees were like, what is going on? This is weird. 
Jesus' disciples were not as pious as um, John the Baptist. They weren't fasting like John the Baptist were. And so John the Baptist's disciples were like, what's going on? This is different. And that's the context where Jesus says this. Yeah, new wine, new wineskins. But this morning, I want to talk about one other really big way that the new of Jesus looked totally different than what the disciples and what the Jews of the time were expecting. And it was that Jesus did not come as a political leader in the way that the Jews expected him to in that time. I just said political in church. Can we all take a breath? Deep breath in, deep breath out. We actually are talking about it this morning. I've had this message crock-potting, bubbling in my heart, burning in my heart for a couple years now. And um, felt like the Lord is saying, today's the day. And honestly, when we scheduled it, I didn't realize that today was going to be the Sunday after an election. But God has a way of doing that, right? Like we've said it a lot many times, we are committed to being a church where people who are on the right and people who are on the left both can come and grow in Jesus. We're committed to presenting the gospel in a non-political way. And I think after today, you guys might understand a little bit more why that is. That being said, the word today might be a paradigm shift for many of us. I ask that you come with flexibility in your heart. Maybe God's pouring out a new wine span and expansiveness to consider this angle of your faith in a new dynamic. Today, I'm going to speak plainly about political idolatry. When we put our hope in politics in the way that our hope should be in Jesus. When we put our heart and our attention on politics in the way that our heart and our attention should be on the kingdom of God. You guys doing okay? If your heart and your mind this week this season, has been more consumed with getting a certain person in office or getting a certain proposal passed or not passed, and if that has consumed your thoughts more than serving and loving and presenting the gospel to your neighbors, your hope has been misplaced. And if you're already offended, if you're crossing your arms physically or with your heart, I just ask, can we enter this topic with an open mind? I want to challenge you to consider how a full commitment to building the kingdom of God and making disciples on earth apart from political activism could be the most transformative thing to hit the planet. The people of Jesus' time struggled with political idolatry as well. They wanted Jesus to come in a political way. The new wine that Jesus poured out, the way he came as a Messiah, messed with them. It was not what they expected or what they wanted. They were looking at the kingdom of God through the lens of politics, earthly governmental systems. They were looking at the kingdom of God through the lens of politics and governmental systems. Today we're going to take a look at Jesus' life and how he interacted or chose not to interact with political activism, structures of earthly government. The first thought is this. Jesus was not 
the nationalist political leaders that the Jews wanted. The religious leaders and the Jews at the time of Jesus had full expectation that when the Messiah would come, he would restore Israel. He would come as a political warrior king to um, free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. Because at the time of Jesus, the Jews were living in Israel, but they were under Roman rule. And so that Roman rule was pretty oppressive at times. There were taxes that were very burdensome to the Jewish people. Jewish um, farm owners, farmers were taxed so highly that they were so in debt that they were afraid that they were going to lose their land. There was a great oppressiveness in the taxation of the Roman Empire. Roman laws and leadership was intermixed with the temple, which was the church of the modern times. And so there were pagan things inside of temple worship, and it, it wasn't the way that it should be. During the time of Jesus, there was also no sanctity of unborn life, let alone toddlers. You guys remember when Jesus was a young child, they weren't just killing children within the womb, they were killing toddlers. Any male child two years and younger were killed during Jesus' time. Yes, the Jews were in their own land. Yes, they had their temple, but and they had a degree of spiritual freedom. The Romans at the time of Jesus, were, did let the Jews have their custom and, and worship and their holidays and all of that, but, but they were not free. And most Jews hated the Romans and, and wanted desperately to be their own nation, their own independent nation that they could rule as they desired. So all Jews expected the Messiah to come as a political leader, as this warrior king, to come and demolish the Roman Empire, set them free, set himself up as the king of Israel physically. The word Messiah in those days, like we know what Messiah means because we know what Jesus came and did, but back then, Messiah and warrior king were synonyms. Like you said Messiah and you assumed warrior king. Like in the same way that if I say Disney, you think Mickey Mouse, or if I say Mickey Mouse, you think Disney, like they're the same thing. That's how it was with the term Messiah. Messiah meant warrior king. That's why the sons of thunder were arguing with Jesus about who got to sit next to him in his new kingdom and why the disciples argued over who was going to be greatest in his kingdom because they were picturing Jesus establishing an earthly dynasty that they would be able to rule and reign with him in royalty in an earthly way. The Jews knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that God had called them to Israel. They knew that the coming Messiah would someday set up government in Israel. They did not expect Jesus to come the way that, they, that he did. The Jews' nationalism and political idolatry blinded them to kingdom priorities in Jesus' day. Early on, really the whole, the whole lifetime of the disciples, they were trying to figure out what was happening because it was so countercultural to what they had expectation of. Let's take a look at it in Mark 8, 27 through 33. Now Jesus and his disciples were, um, went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what are people saying about me? And they answered, hey, some think that you're John the Baptist, others think that you're Elijah, and others think you're one of the prophets. And he, Jesus, said to them, yeah, but who do you say that I am? It's a good question that all of us, Jesus is asking 
We're going to stand before Jesus at the end of our life, and he's going to ask all of us that question. Who do you say I am? And Peter responded and said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. This was kind of the first moment that it was clearly communicated that the disciples knew who Jesus was. Right after that, Jesus clarifies to them what it means to be the Christ. So Jesus said, then Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell nobody. He, didn't, he wasn't ready for the whole world to know yet. Verse 31, then he began to teach. He said, yes, I am the Messiah, but it's going to look a lot different than you're expecting. Verse 31, then he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Can you imagine what's going through the disciples' minds? They have this expectation that the Messiah is coming as this political warrior king. And Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah, but I'm actually going to be rejected and killed and be raised again. So he spoke this word openly, but then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuking Jesus. But when he, Jesus, turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked uh, Peter publicly and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. So Peter got it right that Jesus was the Messiah, but he got the wineskin wrong. He was so convinced. He had such conviction that God was telling him that the Messiah was supposed to come as this warrior king that he tried to correct Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you're getting it wrong. You're thinking of the kingdom in human terms. You're not mindful of the things of God. This new was definitely not what the disciples were expecting. Because remember, Jesus walked on earth when the taxes on the Jewish people were crippling. He walked on earth when the modern-day churches were, um, like, the pastors didn't have autonomy. They were intermixing with the Roman leaders on how temple worship was happening, and there were pagan, pagan idol worship happening in the temples, the house of worship, the house that God set up to be a place of worship when Jesus walked the earth. Jesus walked the earth when his people were under the rule of a pagan, unbelieving leader. Jesus walked the earth when abortion was neither right nor wrong. It was a legal, amoral activity. Again, Jesus was a leader. Jesus walked the earth when the execution of all male children to and under happened. And this evil broke Jesus' heart as the evils that we see in our own world break our heart. But it was not his mission to correct it. And that messed with the disciples. It wasn't his mission to correct it through governmental, earthly, political systems. It was not his kingdom to manage. The political climate when Jesus walked the streets of Israel was not pure. And Jesus did nothing to change it on a political, earthly, governmental level. You study the life of Jesus for yourself. You know, Jesus is our model, right? How did Jesus interact with governmental systems and political things? If you look at the life of Jesus, he was not, politic, he was not a political, um, he didn't participate in political activism. 
like the extent to what we see Jesus teaching on this topic is when the Pharisees tried to trap him and said, yeah, but what about taxes? Do you pay, here's a different kingdom, do you pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, yeah, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and render unto God what's God. These are two different kingdoms. Jesus did get involved in flipping tables in the temple when there was corruption in the place of worship. But political teachings, Jesus' political teachings were simple. Pay your taxes. Honor the king. Pray for your earthly leaders. He, I think Jesus would have said, vote. Do the stuff. Do your civil duty. And the Jews were shocked. What do you mean the Messiah is here and he's not going to do anything about this injustice? What do you mean, Jesus, you're going to like come and then go and we're still going to be under Roman leadership? What do you mean? This doesn't make any sense when the new looks different than you expected. New wine came in a way that looked totally opposite to what the Jews were expecting. Unbelievably opposite. You guys tracking? We still doing good? All right, here's another thought. I've got two other thoughts. Jesus warned of the leaven that corrupts the gospel. Jesus warned of the leaven that corrupts the gospel. In the, in the same text of scripture that we just read, um, where Jesus is um, acknowledging that he is the Messiah, but also clarifying what that means. Jesus also says this in Mark 8, 15. He says, then he charged them, Jesus is talking, and he said, take heed, beware of the leaven or the yeast, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, or the yeast or the leaven of Herod, or the followers of Herod, or Herodians. Um, the message translation, do we have the message translation too? Um, Jesus warned and said, be careful. The same verse in the message says, be careful. Keep a sharp, sharp eye out for the contaminating yeast or leaven, this little bit that spoils the whole loaf, right, of the Pharisees and the followers of Herod. So this quote from Jesus is in multiple gospel accounts. Sometimes it says the yeast of the Pharisees, sometimes it says the yeast of the Herodians, and sometimes it says the yeast of the Sadducees. And Jesus was saying, hey, there's something about their doctrine, that there's a little bit of their doctrine that's just a little off, but it messes up the whole loaf. And don't, get, don't, don't lose me on these big Pharisee, Sadducee, Herodian things. Basically, they were all different groups of Jews. They were all Jews, believed in the Torah, taught, you know, learned the Torah, but they had little differences in their doctrine. <clears throat> Same as today with Christians. There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the only way to the Father, but there's lots of different groups of Christians, right, with the different ways in, that they look at it. And so Jesus is saying, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, the Herodians, um, <clears throat> and the Sadducees. So the Pharisees, that group of Jews... <clears throat> would be like modern-day Christians that think that they're better than everybody else. Maybe Bible thumpers that are always thumping the truth without love. The Pharisees believed, valued behavior modification more than heart transformation. They, they leveraged um, abuse of power in the religious realm. Those were the Pharisees. The Herodians... Um, and most Bible scholars believe that the Sadducees, all Sadducees were also Herodians. The Sadducees oversaw the temple and they intersected the most with um, Roman leadership. 
the Herodians were a group of Jews at the day who aligned with Herod's family and wanted Herod's family to be in political office. They were Jews who emphasized a political party, the Herodian party. Um, and their leaven was believing that the kingdom of God would come through a politician or a political party. So the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees were all mixing the doctrine of the kingdom of God with something else that didn't fit. It wasn't just give me Jesus. It was Jesus and this little yeast. Jesus and, I'm really going to emphasize this. And Jesus said it's leaven and it spoils the whole loaf. Our message is purely Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Our message cannot be mixed with politics. Our message cannot be Jesus and the conservative right. Jesus and this one social issue. Jesus and American nationalism. Jesus and the left. Our message is purely Jesus. Because we're ambassadors, this is not our home. Scripture says that we're ambassadors for Christ. This is not our home. We are just passing through. We are foreigners. I have a friend who... Um, lives in China, has been there for a couple of years with three young kids like ours. Her husband works overseas there. And she said her mentality is so interesting. She doesn't get irritated with the way that the Chinese government set up because it's not her home. She's just passing through. I thought, man, that's a good perspective as it relates to our citizenship in heaven. This is not our home. We're ambassadors. We're proclaiming the message of a different kingdom. This week, we put up Christmas decorations in our front yard on Tuesday, on election day. The kids were home, and it was a beautiful day. So we put out Christmas decorations outside, and lights, and garland, and all the stuff. But then we put a nativity in our front yard. And as we were putting nativity in our front yard, I had the thought, and I thought, oh, I'm so glad that we've never had a political sign in our front yard. Because it would, it would mix the two. If someone had been driving by our house, however many years and they knew us oh that's the house that always votes for so-and-so and we put out a nativity it uh contaminates the message no our message is just jesus because i'm i'll, I'll speak for myself i personally am not willing to die on the hill of politics promoting a man or a woman when there's corruption on both sides if I'm going to align myself with a person, it's going to be with the perfect person, Jesus. Because if I die on the hill of politics, then I miss my opportunity to share the gospel, which is the main thing. I do want to say, there are some that feel called to, the, to a political office, believers, and I'm so grateful for that. We need Christian leaders in every realm. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian everything, right? We need leaders who follow godly wisdom and are integrous and pursue God. And so I celebrate that. We at Alive celebrate that. But as Christians, as our role as Christians, our one message is Jesus. And I don't know, I'm not going to tell you what this means for you personally, but I, I, I do want to challenge all of us. Is there any political idolatry in my life? It, has my hope been placed in politics when it should be placed in Jesus? Has my attention and my heart been wrapped up in politics when it should be wrapped up in the Great Commission? 
because I love our great country as much as all of us. I want to see godly leaders put into office. I want the laws of our land to be in in agreement with the laws of our Bible. But this place is not my home. We are foreigners. Our true citizenship is in heaven. We are ambassadors, representatives of a heavenly kingdom. In 1 Timothy, um, there's a scripture that talks about how we are we're soldiers of Christ. We're, we're ambassadors for Christ. And any soldier in wartime does not get entangled in civilian affairs. I think sometimes we can get involved in civilian affairs when our main mission should be the kingdom. So I want to encourage us to be about our Father's business, building the kingdom as Christ's ambassadors, his message of good news not be corrupted with the leaven of of the doctrine like the Herodians and the Pharisees. Because here's the deal. If I was up here this morning preaching the message of Jesus, but I was wearing a red Make America Great Again hat, I'm preaching Jesus, but I also have another message that I'm communicating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose some of you. My words will have no meaning to some of you. In the same way, if I'm up here preaching Jesus, and I'm wearing a Let's Go Big Gretch hat, I'm going to lose half of you. I'm mixing the message with something else, and, it, and it's, it, it corrupts the whole message. It's leaven that corrupts the whole loaf. Now, my message is Jesus. And yes, I'm a pastor, and it should be that way, right? But we're all ambassadors for Christ. We're all his representatives on earth. You guys doing good? Let's have one more thought. Can you go ahead and put that slide up on? Will we promote the right Jesus? Will we promote the right Jesus? Another thing we can learn from the life of Jesus is that at the time of Jesus, um, the religious people had their choice between, between two Jesuses. The Jews wanted Jesus to be a political leader and a religious leader. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans. They wanted fireworks and war and the whole thing. They wanted it to go big, go down big. But Jesus came as this peacemaker, this man of love, this non-political speaker of truth. It wasn't the Jesus they wanted. When Jesus was on trial for his crucifixion, there was another Jesus on trial too, Jesus Barabbas. And the Jews could choose to release Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Barabbas. And they chose Jesus Barabbas. You might ask, who was Barabbas? He was a freedom fighter. He led revolts against the Romans. He was a man of action and power and politics. He was popular and zealous. He was a man of political action. Barabbas represented what the Jews wanted for salvation. So they released Barabbas and crucified Jesus. Let's take a look at the story. John 18, 33 through 38. Then Pilate entered and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him. I love how Jesus answers. Jesus answered and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did all others tell you concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you on the Passover. Therefore, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out and said, not this man, but Barabbas, Barabbas, however you say his name. Now Barabbas was a robber. Wow. Every generation has a choice of what Jesus we want to promote. Will we promote Barabbas, the political nationalist freedom fighter hero? Is our faith and trust in that movement? Or in trusting Jesus the Messiah, the meek, patient builder of an invisible kingdom, more real than we can see, but it doesn't have all the hype and fireworks and loud voices of politics? Church, the answer to our broken world is the hope of Jesus. Jesus is our message. Jesus is our hope. The new thing, the new wine Jesus was pouring out 2,000 years ago was not done through politics. Today, the new thing that Jesus is doing will not be done through politics. Can he move through politics? Yes, but he's not dependent on them. Whether your guy or gal won this week, whether your proposal was promoted or not, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. A move of God is not dependent on a specific government structure or political candidate. God moves regardless of what happens politically. And you probably don't want to hear this, but oftentimes the kingdom of God grows the fastest and the strongest under oppressive governments. It's not comfortable for us, but the church is growing the fastest right now in, in places where people can't put their trust in the government. Their trust is only in God. The kingdom of God is not restrained because of governmental systems or how the vote fell this week. So what does that mean for us? Let's double down on building the kingdom. Let's double down on loving our neighbor, making disciples, speaking the truth in love, following the ways of the Jesus. In this kingdom that seems like a mustard seed in the midst of all the loud voices of politics, don't be distracted from our mission. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. And our hope is not in politics. We are in the field of the kingdom of God, and it might not seem as spectacular or impactful as maybe the way of politics. But the kingdom of God, scripture talks about it's a hidden treasure. It's the pearl of great price. It's the mustard seed so small that grows into the biggest thing. We're not called to build an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. Let me close with a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 13, 14. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. 1 Peter 2, 11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your souls. 
2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us, we employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I'm not here to tell you what it looks like for you personally. I'm not here to tell you what to do on social media or what to do with your yard signs or what to do with anything. I really am not. I'm here to challenge you, ask you, where are you putting your hope? Is your message being corrupted with leaven? What Jesus are you choosing to bring revival to our land? And I'll close with this. At the end of Jesus' time on life, right before he ascended to the Father, Jesus had been crucified, buried, raised. He had walked in his resurrected body for many days and appeared to many people. And it's right before he ascends to the Father. And the disciples are still clinging to Jesus establishing his earthly kingdom on earth. Let's check it out in Acts 1, 6 through 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time, is it time now? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, do we get to take the Romans down now? Like, is it all going to change now? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, your real focus, he's, he's trying to adjust their focus, but you're about to receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So good. I believe God's saying the same thing to us this morning. Jesus is coming back to earth at some point. And he will be the president and CEO of the earth and all will be well. He will be a good president. He will be a good leader. The laws of the land will be pure and just and holy and right. All will be made well. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times of when everything's going to get straightened out. But, but the priority right now, we live in the church age. And he's saying, but the priority right now is for you to be endued with power on high to go make disciples. Go be about the Father's business. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, I believe he's saying to us as well, yes, there's evil in your land. Yes, your leaders aren't perfect. Yes, I would do things differently. But now is not the time, not the priority in this moment. Priority in this moment is expanding the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we want our hope and our trust to be in you only you. God, we want our message to be you, Jesus. And Lord, we love our country. We want things to be done right. We want love and truth and holiness to prevail. But Lord, we recognize that this is not our home. And you have not commissioned us to, to build earthly governments, but to pray for our leaders and to vote and to pay our taxes and all of that. But Lord, we're your ambassadors for your heavenly kingdom. Lord, help us double down on our role as an ambassador for Christ. Help us love our neighbor well. Help us be burdened for that which burdens you. Help us love, serve, give, make disciples, speak the truth in love, pray, love, serve, give. And Lord, if there has been political idolatry in our life, Lord, we just ask for forgiveness. If our hope has been misplaced, 
Lord, show us what this new wineskin would look like. If there's voices that we have allowed into our heart that have corrupted the, the purity of the gospel, Lord, help us to know what to do with that. Lord, we want to be pure as a church and singularity and mission for your kingdom come. Lord, do a new thing, a new wine in your church where our hope is not in politics, but our hope is in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for purifying us, for refining us in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. We never like to close service without giving an invitation for people to give their life to Jesus. Jesus is our hope. We've got nothing without him. We can't get to the Lord on our own. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never had a line in the sand that says, okay, God, from this point forward, I'm really all in. Jesus asked his disciples, will you follow me? I believe God's tapping on those of you watching online, those of you in person, and saying, will you follow me? At the end of every service, we say a corporate prayer together as a church that just confesses, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my God. I believe that you came and walked on the face of the earth, a sinless life. You died on the cross for my sins and my shame, and the only way to the Father is through you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, you are our one thing. With all eyes closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning and and you want to make a declaration to the Lord for the first time or maybe rededicate your life and say, God, I'm all in. If you're asking if I'm following, the answer is yes. In a heart posture to honor the Lord and courage to say, I'm all in. With all eyes closed and head bowed, would you raise your hand and say, God, that's me, I'm all in. Amen. Church family, let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, my trust is in you. I believe you are the Messiah, and I receive your forgiveness, and I receive your power to be a witness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter, and Jesus is alive.